Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Our world is broken. Um, I didn't think about this earlier, but as we were um, doing the Advent candle, I thought about peace. Peace uh, is, is the, uh, the Hebrew word shalom. You, you might have heard that as, as a greeting, shalom. Um, but but it's, it's peace, and it's more than just the absence of war. It's, it's um, everything is right. Everything is, is kind of in balance. Everything is just the way it should be. It, it's, it's wholeness. It's completeness. And yet we live in a world where the shalom was shattered. We live in a world that ever since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we live in a world where the shalom that we were intended for, that we were, we were made to live within, was shattered and marred. And, and now we live with death. And we live with sickness and pain. We live with arthritis. And we live with the osuses, right? <laughs> we live with tumors. We live with cancer. We live with, with children who are born without the organs that they're supposed to have. We have all these things that we, we, we live in a world that is broken. Where the shalom that we were intended for is not there. We know that this comes because of our sin. God created the world to be good. He, he, he made the, the day and the night and the land and the sea and the trees and everything. And He said, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. And yet, He gave us one command not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve partook of that fruit and so, while we're going to be looking at uh, Micah chapter 5, if you want to place your finger there and turn back to Genesis chapter 3. In verse 14 and 15, the, Lord's, the Lord God said to the serpent, this is after the fall, because you have done this to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and, on the, and, the dust of you, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is where Christmas got started. While in the midst of the curse upon the serpent and, and God telling Adam and Eve that the, that the relationship that they had would be distorted and that man would have to work by the sweat of his brow and the ground would just produce thorns and thistles from now on, God still gives a promise. He says that the one day there would be a child born. A seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve, who would come and who would crush the serpent's head. 
Right there from the very beginning where we see the very beginning of the curse that we live under that brings death, that brings sickness, that brings disease, that brings sin into the world. There is the answer. That is, a child would be born into the world who would crush Satan's skull. And as we look here at the beginning chapters of Genesis, after the fall, Eve gives birth to a child. And we have this promise ringing in our ears. Cain, will this be the one? Will this be the one who will be the one who will crush the serpent's head? And then Abel is born and Cain kills his own brother and dashes her hopes. But Seth is born. And the the biblical author there gives us the the line of Seth and, and it comes down to the time when Noah was born. Noah's father, Lamech, when Noah is born, he says, we'll call him Noah because it means rest. Maybe this one will bring us rest from the curse. Rest from the toil and labor of our hands. They're looking for the one who is to come. They're looking for this descendant of the woman who will come and crush serpents, the serpent's head. From the very beginning of the Bible, they're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for the one who would come and set all things right. We fast forward to the time of Abraham, and Abraham is promised that he would have a son, he would have a descendant, a seed, who would bless all nations. And fast forward some more, and we come to David. We've talked about this over the last few weeks, but David was promised that he would have a son. Just like the promise to Eve about there would be a son who would crush the serpent's head. Just like the promise to David that he would have a, uh, uh, Abraham that he would have a son that would bless all nations. We have David who's promised a son who would sit on his throne forever. And the prophets, as we've seen in Isaiah, the prophets reflect on these promises. And we see in Isaiah 7 that we looked at a few weeks ago, there will be one who was born, a child will be born to a virgin. And we'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. This is not just any child. This is the promised one from the very beginning of the Bible. Two chapters later in chapter 9, we saw... For unto us is born this day, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He'll sit on the throne of his father David. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All of these things are reflecting on this first original promise that God was going to send into the world a Messiah. One who would come and crush the serpent's head. 
So we live in this world that is broken. We live in this world that that has disease and sickness and pain and all of the things that we don't want to face. And yet, He promised from the very beginning He would send someone who would crush that and restore the shalom, the peace that we were made for. Micah reflects on these same promises as we look at Micah chapter 5 tonight. I'll read from verses 1 through 6 of Micah chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of, his, of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, when Then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see tonight. Lord, help us to understand your word and what it says about Bethlehem. Father, I pray that you give me strength, give me grace, help me, a wretched sinner, to preach your word. If you can use a donkey to speak to a prophet, you can use me. Father, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It begins talking about the judgment that's to come. Micah, this short prophet. He's seven chapters long. He, he, he goes back and forth between judgment and save, salvation. Judgment and salvation. He begins, the, the very first verse is, is talking about judgment. Assyria, this, this great nation is coming. That's the world power of the day. They're coming against Israel in the north and they're going to come in and destroy Israel. So the Lord says through Micah, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. 
a siege is laid against us. Get ready for battle is what he's telling the people of Israel. Get ready. Muster your troops. Get them ready. O daughter of troops is what he calls them. It could be when he calls them O daughter of troops, he's reflecting on the the warlike nature that they, they have. A nature of violence. As Micah condemns the people of Israel for what they've done, he he talks about how they have oppressed the poor and they've treated them with unrighteousness. And and they've done so in violence. And here, he calls on this warlike people, these daughter of troops, to muster their troops, to get ready for battle. Because a siege is laid. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Here, the judge of Israel. Who is this? Uh, You might get a hint of it. If it was talking about God, or if the editors of your Bible thought it was talking about God, it would probably have a capital J there. I don't know what your Bible has. Mine has a lowercase j. Um... Either way, it's a matter of interpretation. But the judges, remember, were the the leaders of Israel before the time of having a king. And even after there was a king, the the kings had a judging, a judicial function. We can remember the story whenever uh, Solomon was brought the child by the two women who were claiming to be the mother. How Solomon judged that case in righteousness. So I think whenever it's talking about the judge of Israel being struck on the cheek, I think he's talking about the king. While while judgment is coming, while the people are to to be preparing for battle, mustering their troops, the king is slapped in the face. What an insult it is. That, that the one who is the king of Judah, the, the one who would be the, the son of David, would be slapped in the face. In such a humiliating time, in such a humiliating time in which God is bringing judgment on His people, the Assyrians are about to lay siege upon Israel, in, this, in the midst of this humiliating time, Micah reminds the people, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one shall come forth for me. While judgment was coming, and, and the people were humiliated by what had happened, God is promising there is coming one who will be a ruler in Israel. One who will come from Bethlehem. It says, O Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, we might get confused by this Ephrathah. It's an older name for Bethlehem. If we think back to the story of Ruth, um, at the very beginning of the book of Ruth, it talks about how, how Naomi had left Bethlehem and her husband was an Ephrathite, 
And they went down to Moab whenever, that's whenever her son married Ruth. And we know that Ruth was the grandmother of David. So they had gone down from Ephrathah, which is just the old name for Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the city of David. Bethlehem was the land in which, with, in which Boaz came. It was the land from, from which David came. It was the land of, of Jesse. And so as the prophet reflecting on this, knowing that God has promised a son who would come from David, who would sit on his throne forever, was saying, this child is coming from Bethlehem. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Bethlehem wasn't a a happening place. It wasn't the big city. It wasn't Jerusalem that had the temple. It wasn't Jerusalem that had the palace. No, it was little, insignificant Bethlehem. The judgment was coming. The, the, the Israel was going to be wiped out. And the king wasn't going to be born in a palace. No. He was going to be returned to the homeland of David. Just like we see in Luke chapter 2. Whenever, Dave, whenever Joseph was told, you've got to go home from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be registered. From you shall come forth for me. Speaking of Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. This king, the one who would sit on David's throne forever, was going to come out of Bethlehem. Who's, going, who's coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. He's talking about a future coming, right? A future coming. From Micah's perspective, a future coming where there was a ruler of Israel who was going to come and be born in Bethlehem, but he's saying this future child that will be born has his origins in something very, very ancient. And as we look at John chapter 1, we see how that is. How Jesus was the Word made flesh. Jesus was, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made was made through Him. Even though this child from Micah's perspective was hundreds of years in the future to be born, his lineage, his origin was from of old. It was from ancient times. Jesus was the pre-existent Messiah. He had existed because He was God Himself. He was the one who flung the stars into space. He was the one who spoke and the world came into existence. And yet this one would come and become a small baby and be born and laid in a manger in a city called Bethlehem. Verse 3, Therefore, He shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of her brothers shall return to the people of Israel. 
judgment was coming. God was giving His people over to this judgment. He was giving them over so that Assyria was going to come and wipe them out. And later on, Babylon was going to come and He was going to carry the people off into, into captivity in Babylon. And they would go into this judgment until, it tells us, until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Now, if we just take this verse, we might think, well, Mary, Mary, when she gives birth. We need to think back earlier in this book, just across our page, if, if across the page on my Bible. In chapter 4, verse 9, it's, it begins, Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That, that pain has seized you like a woman in labor. Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you, go out, you shall go out from the city to dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies." On the other side, he's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about the Jewish people as a whole. They're, go, they're in pain like a woman with child, and they're going to be taken in judgment into Babylon, and the Lord will return His people. And we know that happened when Cyrus, the king of Persia, allowed the people to go back into Israel and be able to, to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls, and the people came back. And among those people that came back, there was a family that settled in Bethlehem and their descendant was a man named Joseph. The Lord was promising while He was judging, while He was sending His people into, into exile in Babylon, he would bring them back and that messianic seed, that child who was to be born, would be there in Bethlehem. Verse 4, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the, name of the Lord his God. And there shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Jesus, this one who was born in Bethlehem, was the great shepherd. He was the great shepherd whose sheep knew his voice. They would follow him. He laid down his life for the sheep. This verse here in, in Micah points to this fact that Jesus would shepherd His flock in the strength of the Lord. It was His shepherding of this flock that brought them security. And they shall dwell secure, for now He shall be great to the ends of the earth. Jesus' name is great. What started out in Bethlehem 
What started out in this small, insignificant place that no one would think of, too little to be among the clans of Judah, Micah says. What started out in this small seed, Micah says, will be great to the ends of the earth. This gospel that began in the, in the land of Canaan, this land of Bethlehem, where Jesus walked along and lived a sinless life and died and rose and His disciples have taken that message to the ends of the earth and we sit here in Panama, Illinois. To the ends of the earth. This Gospel has reached from Bethlehem all the way around the world to us. His name should be great to the ends of the earth. And He shall be their peace. Verse 5. And He shall be their peace. Jesus is our peace. He has reconciled us to God. We were once sinners. We were once rebels. We were once His enemies. We were justly standing condemned under the weight of the wrath of God. And Jesus stood in the way and absorbed all of God's wrath that was headed for us. Jesus is our peace. This final part, I think, is a little more more difficult. It talks about the Assyrian. Now, at the time that this is written, the Assyrian Empire was the the major world power of the day. But I think when we read this about the Assyrian, we ought to understand it kind of like we, we read the word Babylon in the book of Revelation. Babylon was no longer the world power at the time. Rome was probably who John was writing about whenever he wrote of Babylon in the book of Revelation. In the same way, I think we're thinking the major world power. At the time that Jesus, the Messiah, was born, it was Rome. But Assyria here represents a major world power, but it also represents All of the enemies of God's people. Our sin. Our brokenness. Our rebellion against God. Our greatest enemy. Satan himself. Our fear. Our fear, right Josh? All of these things is what the Assyrian represents. And here it says, when the Assyrian comes into our land, our enemy, those things that can get us, that can really damage us, our doubt... Our pain. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. This seven and then eight is kind of like what you might see in Proverbs. Where it says, for three and for four. It's a certain type of parallelism. Or there are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven. I think it it represents a kind of an indistinct number. But basically, he's saying the ruler will be raised up to be able to defeat the enemies that come against us. 
Not just as six or seven or even eight princes of men or kings, but Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, is the One who will come and He will be able to defeat all of our enemies. When they come into our land, He will deliver us from the Assyrian. When He treads into our land, when He comes close, when He comes within our border, Jesus will be there to defeat our foe. All this from Micah chapter 5. The first six verses. We're told to look, the Old Testament people were told to look for a Savior that was coming from Bethlehem. Who is our hope in this morning? One of the things that the, the, the Jewish people were being condemned for in the book of Micah, in the judgment parts, not only for their, for their um, oppression of the poor, but, but they answered back, oh, we couldn't possibly be destroyed. They were, they were prideful because they had the temple. They had the temple. God dwells in our midst. The Assyrians couldn't possibly defeat us. And yet, the Assyrians come and wipe them out. They were placing their hope in having a physical temple. And God told them, I believe it was in chapter 1, you've made this temple into just another high place. The high places were those places in which where, where the pagans would go and they would worship on those high places. God tells the Jewish people, you have made the temple just another high place where you, where, where you, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Our hope is not in a place a physical place. Our hope is not in having the right in armies. Our hope is not in, in by the strength of men, but our hope is in a baby that was born in Bethlehem. A little out of the way place. Not in palaces. Not in Jerusalem. But in Bethlehem. He has made our peace. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that is under the curse. And yet, at this time of year, we sing, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. The curse will be no more. This has a little bit of a tension. Because while we have been promised eternal life, while we have been promised that our enemies will all be defeated. We still die. We still have pain. We still have arthritis. We still have, have sickness. 
We still have sadness. We still have depression. We live in what would be called the time between the times. Jesus has come to Bethlehem. He's been born. He lived a sinless life. And what He has done has accomplished our salvation. And we trust and we hope in what He did on the cross for us. And we look forward to the fact He's promised He is coming again. And when He comes again, He will restore a new shalom. All of our tears will be wiped away. No more pain. No more arthritis. No more osteoporosis. No more death. No more organs that don't function properly. But He will create for us a new shalom and there will be peace forevermore. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.